Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. One of the things I hate the most, I hate the most, is seeing the effects of a broken home. There's this young man that I'm thinking of that lives down the street from me. Um, His mother's always working, trying to provide for the family. His dad has never really been there for him. And now his dad is in prison for selling drugs. I mean, this kid has had it rough. He's had a rough life. And so whenever I try to have a conversation with him, he withdraws from me. He wants nothing to do with me. And sometimes I'll catch him when he comes home from school um, that he'll actually cross the street to avoid any contact with me. And then when I finally like corner him and like do the full court press on him to talk to me, he gives me these short little answers. Like you guys know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yes. No. And he doesn't really engage with me at all. So what I can tell about this kid is that there's a deep level of woundedness that is happening inside of him that whenever I come near, he withdraws. And I think there's a lesson in in that, that, that we are tempted to do the same thing, right? That when, when, whenever, um, God tries to come into our life whenever he tries to draw near to us because of the woundedness that's inside of us, right? The shame and the guilt. What do we do? We withdraw. I mean, some of us are here today praising the Lord, singing songs, got our, got our, got our books open. We're right. We got the holiness and righteousness going on. We had a good praise and worship. But see, there's things going on inside of you that nobody knows about. That not even your life group knows. They can't know. Why? Because if they know your pain, if they see your sins, the cost is too great. Perhaps this is you. So whenever the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords pursue you in your pain, you withdraw from him. But I'm here to tell you today that hiding from your sins, pretending that you are good when you're obviously not, is not how we should respond as believers. Jesus is trying to get you to experience what what John is saying, this living water that wells up into eternal life. But the only way to get there to living water is through your wounds. So Christ is there. He's preaching and he's teaching the gospel, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. Everything was made for him and through him. And where is he? He's not in a mansion sitting next to a swimming pool, uh, 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 toasting kebabs from the Barbie. He's not in his office somewhere with all of his theological books and all of his biblical commentaries. No. Jesus is right there. He's right in the middle of his creation. He's preaching and he's teaching the gospel. And many are coming 
to see him. Now, these people, they're, they're broken. They have addictions. They have diseases. They've had their dreams crushed. Many have lost loved ones along the way. But Jesus is there, and he's there to intercept these people. And his ministry is starting to gain traction. He's becoming popular when all of a sudden the Pharisees had heard. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 1. His popularity is growing. And people are coming in droves to see him. And now his popularity has gotten the attention of the religious leaders of the day who were already sort of watching John the Baptist's activities. But the, the apostle John wants to let you and I know that in verse 2, that Jesus wasn't the one baptizing. It was his disciples who were doing the water baptism. Now, John the Baptist spoke of a Messiah who would come to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So perhaps it's Jesus' disciples who were doing the baptizing of water only as a sign of repentance and confession of sin only. Not that it does anything magical. It's not the, this, the, the, the being dunked in water that makes you saved. It's an outward sign of confession and, and repentance. So Jesus and his disciples, to, to avoid any conflict with the Pharisees, Jesus dipped out. Verse 3 says, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, please understand something. Jesus did not leave because he was scared. He left because his, his hour, the time of his death, had not come yet. It would have been too premature. The apex of the conflict that was going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane happens much later. So what does Jesus do? He falls back. And there's a lesson in this. You and I can learn from this, especially when it comes to the silly little arguments that we get involved in on Facebook or social media. And when I say we, I'm talking about me. That it's better sometimes to retreat from the things that really don't matter in the greater scheme of things. And what we need to be doing is holding fast to the things that do matter, like preaching and teaching the gospel and preaching Christ crucified. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He retreats so that the gospel work can continue. So they started their journey towards Galilee. And verse 4 tells us, but to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. Now the New King James Version says, Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Now, pay attention to that. Now, why did Jesus need to go to Samaria? Because he had a a divine appointment with a woman at the well. It was her time for the meet up, for the hookup with Jesus. 
Now, the shortest route from Judea to Galilee is straight through Samaria. But because the Jews hated the Samaritans, they took the longer route, right? They actually crossed over the Jordan River, went through a different uh, nation, and then crossed back over the Jordan just to avoid Samaria. That's how much they, they hated the Samaritans. And it added days to their trip to do so. But Jesus and the disciples go through Samaria. Look, at, look with me at verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, if you know the story in Genesis chapter 33, verse 9, Jacob had purchased that land that we're talking about in the general area. If we read on in chapter 48, verse 22, we learn that Jacob then gives that piece of land or something in that area to his son, Joseph. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And so Jesus has been walking for several days when his true humanity starts to kick in. The brother's tired. He gets to the well and he needs to rest. And some of you, hopefully none of you, but some may say, if Jesus is God, then why on earth is he tired from his journey? Gods aren't supposed to get tired. And I'll say back to you that Jesus is God. John chapter 1 lets us know that it was Jesus who was there at the beginning with God. John also tells us that God took on flesh and he dwells with us in the person of Jesus. And so it's because of Jesus' humanity that he's subjected to the same physical elements, the limitations as us. And so Jesus, sweaty, exhausted, dirty, thirsty, hungry, he gets to the well and he's like, yo, yo, my brothers, I cannot go any further. How about you, you go into town, grab me something to eat and come back. Now, Peter, I ain't playing with you. If you go into town slicing people's ears off, I'm gonna have something to say to you. Come back here with the food. I'll be right here when you guys get back. So at the sixth hour, which is high noon, the hottest part of the day, a Samaritan woman comes to the well to get water, the very same well Jesus is at, verse 7. Now, don't miss this. There's a couple of things that seem quite unusual to me. Number one, by Middle Eastern custom, women generally drew water at the cool of the day, around 6 a.m., 6 p.m., not at the hottest part of the day when the sun is, is at its zenith. Second, 
many biblical scholars have identified several wells much closer to where the Samaritan actually lived. So why on earth is this woman traveling out of her way in the hot sun to get water? Could it be because she has a pretty low uh, reputation in her own town? Could it be because everybody knows of her, her sketchy past? So to avoid feeling like snot, this woman goes to another town to take care of her daily needs? And so that's what people do when they're ashamed and they're guilt-ridden. They all go out of their way to avoid anyone connecting with them. And they do that because they fear rejection and judgment. But I want to let you know, if you know someone in your family, a friend, even a stranger who is struggling, don't be silent. Sometimes a sincere, how are you today, is enough to loosen the chains off a person struggling with guilt. And that's the case with this Samaritan woman. She's been ducking and dodging people because she has a dirty past. But then Jesus amps, amps it up a little bit. He, he decides to make her a little bit more uncomfortable for her. What does he do? Verse 7, he speaks to her. And then he asks her to give him a drink. Now, there's a couple of things I want to draw to your attention about this. First, men did not speak with women in public, especially women who weren't their own wives. Second, rabbis, teachers of the law, were not to associate with immoral women. And third, and the most significant is Jews wanted absolutely nothing to do with the, the, any Samaritan, but Jesus is different. He doesn't play into any of that cultural stuff. The gospel is for everyone. So no matter of, of race, of social position, religious orientation, or past sins, we, church gospel community, we must be prepared to share the gospel at any time, in any place. And so Jesus crossed all cultural barriers, even when it's uncomfortable, to share the gospel. And we who follow him must do the same. So Jesus asked the woman for a drink, and she is immediately shocked by his request Let's find out why in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Here's the reason. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, you may not be on top of all the, the, the information on uh, the reason the Jews did not like the Samaritans and likewise, but there was an age-old conflict between them that go way back. When the Assyrians conquered the northern part of Israel in 722 BC, where Samaria is, they took many of the Jews from that area back with them to Assyria. 
Now, the king of Assyria repopulated that same area with both, both Jews and captives from other nations. So now you have a mixed group, and those people started hooking up. They started intermarrying and, and having kids, and, and that was the problem to the Jews in the so southern area, right? They felt that the Jews were betraying their own people, their own race, their own nation by marrying outside their race. And ever since then, there's been this enmity between the two groups. And this is why that woman is shocked that a Jew would actually say something to her. Look with me in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, Jesus, now, now I'm confused. You came to the well thirsty, asking the woman for a drink, but now you're acting like she's the thirsty one. And he's right. She is the thirsty one. And she's sinful, and she's fallen, and she knows it, and she's hated herself for many years because of her lifestyle. But today is her lucky day. Jesus is there, and he wants to remove her heart of stone and give her one of flesh. He's traveled all that way to save her, to give her a new life through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And so now here's her chance, living water. So in verse 11, the woman seems to be confused by what Jesus is asking. Look here, sir. I mean, I came to this well, minding my own business. You spoke to me. I didn't need to say anything to you, yet you're asking me for a drink? Brother, I don't even see you with a bucket. You don't have a, a pail. You don't have a cup. This well is over 120 feet deep. You have nothing to draw this water with. And I know you don't want to use my bucket because don't the Jews think anything that we touch is unclean? So please tell me, sir, where do you plan to get this living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, if there was ever a moment where Jesus could flex his muscles a bit, this would have been the appropriate time. He could have easily said, woman, do you know who you talking to? I'm the one who knitted Jacob in his mother's womb. I'm the one who made it possible for Jacob to build the well. And I supplied the water for it. And if it weren't for me, all y'all be thirsty. So the answer to your question is yes, I'm superior to Jacob and Moses and Adam. But notice, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do what we do. He, he doesn't get impatient he doesn't resort to name-calling uh, for not seeing it from his perspective. He leads her gently and tenderly in trying to get her to understand who he is. So in verse 13, Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never 
be thirsty again. In essence, Jesus is saying to the woman, I agree, Jacob is awesome. He built the well. It has blessed many people and will continue to be a blessing for generations to come. But the issue is you're here today because you're thirsty. And tomorrow and the next day when you're thirsty, where will you be at? Jacob's well. But if you drink of the water that only I can give, you'll never thirst again. Plus, you can draw from it any time you want. And once you drink this living water, oh, hallelujah, it will become in you like a spring, active and alive. This water is so dynamic, so energetic, so powerful that it will literally pour and jump out of you and onto others day after day, year after year. Amen? And so everything you need, satisfy, will satisfy your thirsty and hurting soul this living water is. And so look with me at the woman's response in verse 15. She says, sir, that sounds awesome. Give me this water so I'll never have to come to this well again. Hallelujah. Praise God. She just accepted Christ, right? So, so let's go ahead and, and come back up, Levi. Let's get the praise band going. Um, somebody uh, bring up some paperwork. Let's sign her up for classes. Um, um, why don't y'all come on up here? Bring the oil, and we'll anoint her, and we'll say a prayer, and we'll, we'll, we'll push her off on her new life as a Christian. But then Jesus does something that you and I, I know, are afraid to do. He gets a little personal and confronts her sin. Look with me in verse 16. Jesus says to her, okay, well, before I can give you this living water, I need for you to go and get your husband and bring him back to me. Wow, Jesus. I mean, you just gave us a picture, perfect example of evangelism. The woman responded with a resounding yes, and now you're going to mess it all up by pressing into her sin? Walk away, Jesus, before this woman change her mind. But see, brothers and sisters, Jesus is not interested in producing surface-level Christians, surface-level Christians. You know what I'm talking about, right? The kind that comes to church every Sunday, pretend that everything's all right. When you ask them how they're doing, they, say, they smile, blessed be the name of the Lord. When in reality, there is a secret addiction, there's a wound, there's a hurt, and it's hindering their walk with God. But Jesus wants this living water to explode from her. But to do that, he has to get to her wound. And for this woman, uh, her, her wound is her adulterous life. She exchanges sex with men for love and affection. Verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, we don't have too much information on this woman. Maybe, maybe she's been widowed five times, or 
Perhaps she's just promiscuous and she's been sleeping around with other women's husbands. We don't know, but what we do know is this woman has lived a hard life, man. And she's viewed as an outcast and she's so ashamed that she's willing to travel miles and miles from home in the hottest part of the day just to take care of her daily needs. And she's done an excellent job at it, right? She's been keeping all of her secrets at bay, the details of her life private, but now Jesus is there and he's pressing on something that's so tender for this woman. Look at, look at the woman's response in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So now the woman knows something's up, right? She knows it's just not a normal dude. This information he knows could have only come from God himself. Verse 20, she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And so this woman does something that I find absolutely hilarious because I've done the same thing. Whenever someone brings to my attention my sin, I say, okay, but what about X, Y, and Z? You see the little bait and switch I, I just did there? Like I pointed it to the mountain and so she can kind of get him off track. But it didn't work, right? The bait and switch she just tried to perform on Jesus ain't going to work. Notice how quickly Jesus handles her question in verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, essentially what Jesus is saying here is the argument over where to worship will soon be pointless. Because Jesus knew, because he is God, that in 30 years the Romans would come and destroy the temple in Jerusalem. Then they would turn their wrath towards the Samaritan people and destroy uh, the place of worship there. So we need not confine God to a building. God is spirit. Therefore, you and I should worship him in a spirited manner, vivaciously. Uh, true worship must be from the heart. Verse 25 the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, Jesus avoided telling the Jews many times because of their, their lack of faith that he was the true son of God. But at the well, he tells an adulterous woman, someone with a sketchy past, someone who the whole world saw as a failure, that he was the promised Messiah. And when she heard those words, I who speak to you and he, guess what? That living water started to bubble up and it exploded 
inside of her. She was initially there to fill up her bucket. But after talking to Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, she got so excited. And this is later on, if you want to continue reading. She got so excited that she, she rushed away to the very ones who ran her name into the ground, who talked bad about her, who gossiped about her. She went into the town to tell them about Jesus. Everything that was of value to her, the bucket, Jacob's well, the husbands, she left it all behind because she realized she already had it all in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have shown us through the uh, death and burial and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for constantly pursuing us, even in our sin, even when we fall short. What a blessing that when we come to you needy and in need of you, Lord, you never tire of us. When we constantly mess things up, you never create distance between us, but you are always pursuing, always present, always ready to forgive our sins. Lord, as you revealed to the woman at the well, you are indeed the Christ. And because you've experienced everything that we go through now, we can trust you in the point of our need when we are struggling. Lord, I cannot wait until that glorious day we are with you in your presence. All these things I ask in your son's name. Amen. Well, folks, before we close, um, I just want to give you a little bit of a conclusion. Um, the reality is that you and I aren't going to escape being wounded. Why? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. So it's either because of the sinful choices that you make or because of the sinful choices of others that you are going to inevitably encounter a great deal of pain. And so if, if not dealt with, that pain will become a deep wound over time that will lead to shame, that will lead to guilt. And so that when, whenever anyone tries to come to you and love on you, you'll distance yourself because you're afraid of being hurt. But Jesus, he wants to touch the deepest part of you. Remember, he's trying to get you out of the mundane Christian life and to experience the, the streams of living water that, that well up and explode. The woman said to Jesus, give me this living water, the kind that wells up in, in, into eternal life. And Jesus says, excellent. You want this living water? Go get your husband. I want to see your husband. And so your husband, your husband, is that one thing you turn to to find your significance, to find your joy, to find your fulfillment. But they never really satisfy, do they? 
you, you come back the next day and the next day, hoping that that experience is going to be different, but it never is. When we first became Christians, we, we believed and we repented of our sins, but that's kind of where the relationship stopped. We're, we're not talking to God on a daily basis about our sins. Heck, we're not even transparent with ourselves about the things we struggle with. But sometimes, but something is going on in your life right now that is hindering your spiritual walk and your spiritual growth with Jesus. And Jesus wants to meet you there. He's trying to, to change you. He's trying to get you to a place where these living waters can erupt from your life, but you're, you're hiding from him. Do you want these living waters to, to break forth? The only way to get there is through your wounds. So open your hands and let Jesus quench your weary soul. He's in the dirt. He's in the grime. He is fighting with you, and he is fighting for you. If you would, please lift up your hands for the reading of the benediction. Romans 15, 13. Oh, please stand, please. <laughs> May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thank you, gospel community. I love you guys. We'll see you next time.